everybody welcome back to philly take with rb you know what to do smash that like button hit that subscribe if you're new and hit that notification bell as always be sure to check us out on apple Podcasts and spotify today we are joined by a very special guest paul hudrick sixers insider and reporter for 97.3 espn also host of the coming in for a landing podcast be sure to check it out the description will be um down below paul Thanks so much for taking some time to do this today. How's everything going, man? It's going great, man. Glad to do it. Glad to uh, glad to join you here. Yeah, man. Big fan of your work and um, really appreciate everything you do. Um, just getting into, you know, kind of get our feet wet here. Little question for the viewers. Um, we've all been wondering, you know, what's the reporting aspect of it been like during this crazy year, the pandemic, everything going on? It's like talking through screens and, you know, <laughs> Zoom interviews and all this stuff. Um, what's your job been like over the last year? Have you enjoyed it? Have you gotten used to it? You know? It's it's weird, man. Uh, I mean, I think it's like anything else, though. There's certain aspects of it where there's some things that are advantageous, and there's sometimes where it's like, man, you really wish you had. I mean, the biggest thing you miss is just that you know when you're in the locker room and stuff, and, and occasionally you get that one-on-one interaction, and players, you know, you can see their face, you can see their body language a little better, and you can kind of get to know them a little bit better, um, and just kind of talk. Like instead, you know. There are times where you could just go to a player and just ask him how he's doing. Um, and it's not like an on-the-record conversation. It's just you're asking him. Whereas now, you know, every time you talk to a guy, it's so limited and it's through Zoom. And, you know, it's you get called on for a question. That's it. I mean, I guess that the one thing is that's kind of a positive is, you know, a lot of times when you're in like the scrum setting – it's like kind of, it's just like free for all. And like everyone's just kind of barking at a guy and you're all trying to get your questions in. You're talking over each other and it can be difficult. At least with the Zoom setting, it's you're calling on one person and that guy or gal is giving their answer or giving their question and the guy can answer that question. And if you have a follow-up, it's, it's just that element of it makes it easier. It's not as much, um, it's not as much of a free for all, but at the same time, yeah, that personal interaction, that personal touch, you're not really getting nearly as much with the Zoom call. So yeah, I mean, you know, we're all making the best of it, I think. And, and you know, the players, I think, are in the same boat. It's probably a little weird for them um, looking at a computer screen um, and just seeing our faces and, you know, being in an empty room. I'm sure that's weird for them, too. So yep. it's it's give and take, man. Good good, good things and bad things, but we're all just riding it out and just kind of, you know, taking it as it comes and getting used to it as much as we can. Yep, I'm ready to get back, right? Uh face-to-face and everything can't wait man all of us are just dying i've been hearing some stories hopefully we're kind of trending in that direction like all right get a, get some of the fans back and hopefully the media availability and hopefully we'll get there man but um hey getting into this sixers talk uh this sixers team has been in my opinion very very solidified this year i feel like we've found our identity um i've been very happy with how doc rivers has came in kind of instilled his system you see our stars stepping up to another level you see our role players coming in um and, and they're contributing as well um uh, based off our 22 and 11 start we've had a couple great wins like last night i thought was a great win um what's kind of your take on the team how impressed have you been with Doc Rivers, with Daryl Morey, and really how this roster has kind of shaped out so far, you know, a third into the season? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is you touched on Daryl Morey, man. I mean, you know, his presence and, you know, his ability to just kind of, one, he's just not afraid to tinker. He's going to explore every option to try to improve his teams. Um, and you've already seen that with the Sixers. He makes 
two moves that are, are already just such great moves when you talk about the Al Horford trade and yep. you talk about Josh Richardson and bringing in Seth Curry. Uh, just the what both of, not only just what those players have done and how much of a better fit they are with Joel Embiid to Ben Simmons and even Tobias Harris for that matter and the way they've kind of helped spread the floor. But then you look at that Al Horford trade and it's almost like the gift that keeps on giving when you look at um, they have an $8.2 million trade exception they still can use um, plenty of players that can fall under that umbrella. They can use uh, upcoming at the trade deadline. And then even Danny Green, you know, he's an expiring contract at around $15 million. If they wind up keeping him, that's fine. I think he's been, you know, that starting five has been very, very good. He's been a nice addition to it. But if there's, an, a, a, you know, a situation where they can maybe upgrade, um, that $15 million expiring salary is going to be really helpful um, in any kind of maybe bigger move they might contemplate. So um, I, I just think that's been the biggest thing is Daryl Morey coming in here and just really – you know, improving this roster and making it gearing it around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And yeah, I think Doc Rivers has done a great job too. And just, I think the players have really responded to him. Uh, you've seen what he's done for Tobias Harris. I think that's the biggest thing is how much better he's made him. And then, you know, I think Ben Simmons has also taken to Doc Rivers maybe more than perhaps he would have to, you know, and I don't want to, you know, pour dirt on Brett Brown, but I just think, you know, Doc Rivers being a former player, um, in the league, you know, winning a championship as a player, winning a championship as a head coach, I think that really resonates in the locker room. I think he really has kind of that cachet as soon as he steps in, and I think that's part of what has kind of led to this. And then you got to give a lot of credit to just the players. I mean, Tobias Harris, yeah, sure, like Doc Rivers, Sam Cassell have played a big part in his improvement, but Tobias Harris himself has shown up in, the, in you know, the cliche of the best shape of his life, but he really has. Um, he's improved so much defensively. And then the two got, I mean, the two stars, I mean, Joel Embiid, he is playing obviously the best basketball of his career, maybe not so much over the last couple of games, but in general, having an MVP caliber season and Ben Simmons, you see the improvements that he's made, especially recently, um, how aggressive he's been and how much he's looked to attack offensively. You know, a lot of credit just goes to the players for improving and, and really, you know, taking this thing over. And you're, you're seeing that the result of that is, you know, the, the roster construction, the new coach, the players really stepping up, and I think it's all culminated into them having the success they've had so far. And I, you know, that's to me, that's why they're the number one seed as of as of uh, this podcast. Yep, I couldn't agree more. I think that accountability factor. Ben Simmons talks about it, harps on it every. Seems like every single press conference, like Doc came in, he's holding us accountable. And I feel like just this year compared to years past, you know, they come into a game knowing what they have to do. They come down the floor knowing the ball's going to Joel Embiid, and they're going to space the floor. And it, it's just much more fluid in my eyes. And I'm absolutely loving it. You brought up you uh, brought up a great point about the coaching staff too. I think Sam Cassell, Dave Yeager, Dan Burke, those. Guys guys and the impact they're able to have I feel like it's always great to have a well-rounded out staff uh could you kind of speak because I I feel like some of us at home don't really get the full insight onto how these assistant coaches um are able to do their job and what they're able to do especially when you don't get to see it a lot when we're not at the game so could you kind of speak on that a little bit yeah uh that's you know I, I think Doc Rivers is a great coach but I think he has hired a great staff and that's definitely been a huge part of it. You know, uh, you mentioned Dave Yeager. That's kind of his right-hand man. Listen, Dave Yeager has had a lot of success as an NBA head coach. Um, you know, he's took, he's taken two franchises that were, you know, I don't want the Memphis, maybe they weren't struggling, but you know, he, he elevated them. Certainly uh, you look at what he did with the Kings. They haven't been able to replicate the success they've had under Yeager since um, they're a mess right now. I think they've lost like 
nine out of the last 10 or 11 or something yep. like that. So, I mean, they're, they're in a bad way right now. So, um, you know, having a guy like that as his head assistant, and it's funny, I, I vividly remember there was a, a podcast uh, that Woj did, uh, Adrian Rojanowski did with Doc Rivers and, and Eric Spolstra together. And both of them, they were asked, who is the hardest coach to game plan against? And both of them said Dave Yeager. So I think that's part of the reason why, you know, Doc didn't really have like necessarily a personal relationship with Dave Yeager, but he just liked what he did. So that's why he brought him in. Same with Dan Burke, uh, who was so good in Indiana, uh, you know, went through so many coaching changes in Indiana and survived all that because he was such a good defensive coach. And I think you're already seeing the fruits of his labor uh, and what he's been able to do defensively with his team. Uh, last night was a perfect example against Dallas, what they did against the pick and roll. Um, Joel Embiid not dropping as much in coverage and kind of playing it a little bit more aggressively up top. Um, I think their pick and roll defense, you know, there, there's been leaks for sure, but for the most part, their pick and roll defense has been much better, in my opinion, than it has in years past. And I think that's, you know, Dan Burke is a big part of why of why that is. And then Sam Cassell, I mean, you know, that's Doc's, another one of Doc's guys that followed him from the Clippers Sam Cassell, I think, is going to be a head coach um, one day in short order. When you look at what he's done, and I, we all focus on what he's done with Ben Simmons, and no doubt uh, he's played a huge part in Ben Simmons' development. Uh, you know, Doc Rivers credits him with Ben Simmons' turnovers going down. Ben Simmons just last night complimented Sam, you know, credited Sam for his free throws. And you see that if you're there, you know, we're there before the games, and Sam Cassell is in Ben Simmons' hip pocket while he's taking shots, and they go – you know, they'll go free throw line, then the wing, then back to the free throw line, then the other wing, then the free throw line, the three-point line. So it's the the free throws have been a heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis for Ben Simmons, and you're seeing that pay off now. And then also he's worked with with Tobias Harris a lot. Um, and for anyone who watched Sam Cassell play, I don't know how old you are, but I know you're younger than me. Um, <laughs> and I watched Sam Cassell play, and, like, he was just so crafty, and he was so smart, and that's what made him so good. Like, he wasn't especially – you know, physically gifted or athletic, like say, like Ben Simmons is, but he just understood the game and he knew how to, you know, play the angles and play the things to his advantage. And I think he's imparting some of that wisdom on Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. And I think that's a, re a big reason why they're both taking the sleep. So yeah, the, the coaching, it's Doc Rivers, but that whole coaching staff has really made a huge impact this season. Yeah, su such an aspect of professionalism that I just I just feel it um, on a constant basis. Um, we might as well hop right into Ben Simmons. We have to start with him after the performance I saw last night. I've been a big Ben guy since he got drafted early on this season. Um, me included with a lot of other fans where we weren't hating on Ben, but it was more so we know it's in there. We know it's in there. We got to get it on a constant basis. Uh, ben Simmons, he even said the other week, you know, I got to remind myself to be aggressive. And over the last, I would say, seven, eight, nine games, he's done that and more. He's doing it on offense. He's doing it on defense. But I, I don't know if I've ever been as excited than I was, for example, to watch a performance last night with the way that he took Luka Doncic out of that game. He, he single-handedly took him out of that game. Um, and like I said, he's doing it on both sides of the ball. The crazy thing about it is he's 24 years old. He This isn't, I feel like he's not even tapped in to near his prime yet. Um, just kind of speak on Ben Simmons. What have you seen from him over this last stretch? What kind of made it, in your opinion, to just, you know, it clicked. It clicked recently. And how good can Ben Simmons be uh, on both sides of the ball? Can he be that trans, um, he'd be that, um, you know what I'm trying to say, like that talent just. Transcendent. Transcendent yeah. talent, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, listen, you, you hit the nail on the head. 24 years old. Uh, I think everyone kind of loses sight of that. Um, I think of myself at 24 years old and what I was doing, and it was not 
playing, you know, basketball at an all world level. Um, he's just, he's, I mean, the physical gifts are obvious when you look at his size and how well he can move and how athletic he is for that size. Uh, for me this season, you know, earlier in the year, I was one of the people that really was kind of cautioning people like, Hey, like, let's all kind of take a step back and take a deep breath. Um, he had knee surgery this off season. Right. Uh, it was already a shortened off season, off season for everyone um, with the way everything went down with the bubble and everything. So, you know, all that was a factor plus new coach, new system, new players. So there was just a lot. I think he had to get used to, to start the season off. And I, I think, you know, I think, and he wasn't and to me, he wasn't, he certainly wasn't bad uh, to start the season off, but maybe he wasn't scoring, you know, scoring was down a little bit. Shooting numbers were down a little bit. Sure. Um, but I think that was just a matter of adjustments. And I think now that he is healthy, that he is comfortable in Doc's system, that he is comfortable with his new teammates. Um, now he can just focus on his game. And I think that's what you're seeing. I think you're seeing him elevating his scoring by realize, like kind of realizing his gifts, realizing how good he can be when he attacks the rim, when he attacks, you know, smaller players, when he uses his strength, um, when he uses his strength against smaller guys and when he uses his, his athleticism against bigger guys, you know, he's got a mismatch almost any time he's out on the floor. Um, and, and I, I, you know, you talk about defensively. I mean, it's not, it's uh, to me right now, he's the best defender in the NBA. Um, when you talk about his versatility and all the different kinds of guys he can guard. I mean, the other night in, you know, against Toronto, he's guarding Fred Van Vliet and he's guarding Pascal Siakam. Last night he's guarding Luka Doncic um, and he's playing all against all of them at an extremely high level. Plus he's so disruptive. He gets his hands on so many balls. He's got such unbelievable instincts um, that to me, I, like I said, for my money, um, I think he's the best defensive player in the NBA. And to say that at 24 years of age is pretty impressive. And now you're seeing the offensive um, end of that game kind of join it. And, you know, I know some people will still get on him about the shot, but to me, it's like this. I think he's the kind of guy who he always wants to identify kind of the high percentage player, the best play for his team. And for I, I think early on in his career, he didn't view him scoring as maybe the best option. Um, now he's starting to see that, okay, maybe this on some possessions, it is the best option for this offense for me to attack the rim and score. And I think as his shot gets better, because listen, he works on it. Um, no one can deny that. He, you know, maybe he doesn't do, take him in games. But he works. Um, he's he, you know he does it in practices, does it in shootarounds before games. He works on his shot. So I think as he you know as his shot gets better and as he feels more comfortable with it, he'll start to you know down the line. Maybe not this year. It might not happen this year. Maybe it happens next year, or the season after, where he starts to realize, hey, maybe me taking a mid range shot or a three is actually the best shot for this offense. So uh, about potential, like the sky's the limit for this guy. Uh, Twenty four years old and his physical gifts and the way he's still ascending. I mean, it, it's. It really is. It, the sky is truly the limit for a guy like that. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. I think nobody ever took it where he's not bringing value to your team. But like you said, you know, there's a mismatch. We want you to take it. You're in the post one-on-one -on -one with a guy half your size. You have all the physical gifts. You're tall. I mean, you're bigger than everyone. And the funny thing is you're faster than everybody. But the one thing that stuck out to me from last night, and I've repeated this over and over, his mindset. Last night, he was out there jawing. He was getting hype. And he's more of a reserved, calm type of guy. But he, when he's showing it, I feel like he is so locked in. He is in that mode when he when you know he's looking at the schedule oh i'm going up against luka Doncic. i'm going up against damian lillard i'm going up against one of these top scorers he locks in in a way that i've never seen and i think with his mentality if he keeps on being aggressive not only you know on the court physically but up here 
up here. I I, I think there's nothing stopping him. I, I really don't. I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, that's he's pointed that a lot. He said mentality has been a big part of what has happened recently is that he is just, you know, it's clicked in his brain to have that kind of attacking approach. I think we have seen him actually show a little bit more, to your point, a little bit more emotion, a little bit more fire um, when he's dunking on a guy and then, ta- and then you know, yelling in his face afterward. He picked up a T in that <laughs> Nets game on Tyler Johnson when he kind of yelled in his face. And yeah, I think that having that little bit of that snarl, that little bit of an edge, I do think it helps him offensively because – He's just like, he just really is in that attack mode. And I think it has served him well. And if you can channel that, and I think he has done a really good job of using it, but not overdoing it to the point where he's letting it take him over. Um, I think it's it's only going to help him. And I it's and I do think it both feed each other. I think his playing such great defense will feed his offense. And I think vice versa. I think when he's playing really well offensively, it, 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 it causes him to step up his defense as well. So... Um, you're looking at a guy that can be, you know, uh, just as a two-way player, can be one of the best two-way players in the entire league. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, a little later on, we'll get on to some possible trade possibilities, um, roster reconstruction a little bit as we go forward. Um, just one more thing on Ben Sims. Are you concerned at all when we get to the playoffs in the half-court set, when things really slow down? Obviously, Ben's been playing on the ball. He's been off the ball. Put him in the dunker spot. You can do anything with him. The only thing is he won't take a shot and as you said maybe it'll come later on it's just not going to happen now I don't know if it's going to happen this season and when we get to the playoffs I will admit I'm a little bit concerned you know if he's open from 15 20 feet if they're just going to let him you know ride it out and they'll double triple Joe hopefully we can get more consistency from Danny Green and Seth Curry as long as they get healthy and you know they're okay are you concerned at all about Ben in the playoffs what's kind of your view on that I think it's a a thing that we're not going to know until we see it. Um, There are positive signs that lead you to think that it might not be as big of an issue as it has been in years past. You know, when he drops 42 points on the best team in the NBA without taking an outside shot, that makes you feel pretty good, pretty confident that he can do more of that. Uh, And, you know, to your point, you, I think his versatility is what is going to help him and him realizing that versatility. Like, he doesn't have to be necessarily the point guard in half in half court sets. He could go to that dunker spot. They can use him in pick and rolls, use him as a screener and a roller. He's very, very good at that. And I think, you know, the idea that when a team leaves him, I think there's like two ways to look at it. Yes, they're they're giving him that shot. They, they want to give him that 15 to 20 footer. But with that, you're also giving him space. And giving right. him space is a danger do because he's so big because he's so fast you're giving him an advantage when you give him space so I I think that's what he's kind of doing is I think what you're seeing recently is he's kind of turning those negatives turning that strategy kind of on its on its head and saying well listen if you're going to give me all this space to shoot maybe I won't shoot but I'm going to eat that space up kind of like what we see what Giannis does on pretty much a nightly basis um you know and get to the rim and, and you know either facilitate or get to the free throw line or finish on his own. So I think he's kind of turned that that strategy on its head, and I think that's what you're seeing. And I think that's, you know, we won't know for sure what it's going to look like in the playoffs, but I think those are encouraging signs that maybe he can get over the hump and maybe he can make a difference in the half-court offense when the playoffs come. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, 
as we look at Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, you kind of hit on it earlier, so did I. I mean, Joel's playing at an MVP level. He's almost unstoppable up until these last couple games, and I don't think it's anything for concern. Um, I think he's just trying to get in his rhythm. And Toronto did a good job of taking him out, to be fair. Um, but Joel Embiid, it feels like the guy's averaging 30 in his sleep. He is averaging 30 a game. Um, and this, I feel like this is going to be a season, when we look at it years down the road, like, Oh my gosh, Joel Embiid is kind of, you know, reshaping the dynamic of the modern NBA. I mean, that you have a seven foot, 280 pound center that can do everything. It's crazy. And then, you know, in terms of Tobias, I mean, he's averaging 20 plus a game. So it's crazy, man. Yeah, I, I, I agree that, you know, right now this is a special season. Um, Joel Embiid's having one of the best seasons I mean, even just in general uh, for a big man ever, uh, when you when you consider the numbers he's putting up and how good he is defensively too. Um, this this is this is one of the more special seasons we are seeing from a Philadelphia athlete, and it's I mean not to open up wounds for 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 Philly sports fans, but like <laughs> this is I think kind of how we all felt a couple years ago with Carson Wentz during that run. Like we all felt like wow, this is really special. I mean, I you know Joel Embiid clearly has the the larger sample size of success. Yeah. But I just think that feeling, that feeling of, wow, we're we're witnessing something that we haven't witnessed that often. Or even, you know, harken back to the days of like Allen Iverson. Like that's the feel yeah. you get is like this is just a special season that hasn't been done too often. Um, and I agree that, you know, the last couple of games he's been off. I'm not overly concerned either. Uh, also, it's a worth, uh, um, it, it, you know, acknowledging they've won two out of three, even though he's, he shot the ball poorly and really could have won three out of three. They were really in that game. They could have won that first game against Toronto. Yeah. Um, but I, I think they're, they're Toronto, obviously their strategy was we're taking the ball out of and beats hands. That's just, that's how they want to play it. Uh, I don't think that strategy will actually, when you consider how well Ben Simmons has played recently, um, you know, the, the way Tobias Harris has elevated his game, the way Seth Curry can shoot the basketball, the way, you know, Shake Millen can shoot the basketball. I don't think that's necessary. I mean, it, it's it's what I would do because Joel Embiid has just been that great. But at the same time, I don't know that you that it's going to work. Like, I don't know that you're going to beat the Sixers in a seven-game series with that strategy. I really don't because I think they have other ways to beat you. Um, and again, like they've proven two out of the three last games. I think the Dallas game, I think he had a lot of really good looks um, that he normally makes. Uh, especially like some of those like mid-range jumpers that have been almost automatic for him this year. And he was just like a little off. And I think he's just, you know, a little bit out of his rhythm. Um, and so, you know, we'll see the all-star break is coming up. Maybe, you know, he can get some rest. I mean, you know, he's got to play in the game obviously, but he'll get rest before and after that. And, you know, maybe get in his groove a little bit. So I, yeah, de- certainly not concerned uh, over the long term for him. And um, yeah, I mean, this is just, I, 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 you know, you nailed it with just saying, this is a special, special season and it could end, you know, it, it, it either, you know, could end special individually or as a team or maybe both. Yeah. Um, and, and I love the point you bring up about we're, we're still in the games. We're still winning it, it. Even on his off nights, he has 23 and is our leading scorer. Like it's absolutely insane. And he gets to the line. It's, you know, how he impacts the game. Um, looking at a bigger picture though, you know, we have to, as always, I mean, they talk about the basketball regular season compared to the playoffs. I want to ask your take on this. With the way Joel, Toby, and Ben have elevated their play, I'm absolutely loving that core. And like I said, we'll get into the trades and all. But do you think that core can be the leading core in winning a championship? And can your best player be a center in today's NBA? I don't see why not. Um, you know, it takes to me like I I get to an extent. Like there are certain things that 
have to be recognized about the modern NBA. Um, the biggest thing is threes. I mean, you, you got to take threes or you're not going to win. Right. Um, you got to take them at a pretty high level, at a pretty high volume. You got to hit them at a pretty high clip. Um, you have to have shot creators on the perimeter. Like those are two, like you need to have those things, but that's not to say that just because maybe, you know, some of your best players don't do all of those things that you can't win a championship with them. Um, I, I mean, for me, for, if you're, if I'm, you know, if I'm looking at it from the Sixers perspective, if I have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, just those two alone, I feel like I have a good shot any season, even, you know, you got to surround them with the right players. But when I have those two guys, I think I have a shot every single season, especially when you consider how both guys are really starting to elevate their games and really peaking right now. Um, then you add Tobias Harris. It's like the, you know, the quote unquote third guy. And yeah, that you could do, you could do a hell of a lot worse uh, for a third guy to have third option. He's having such a terrific season and he's been, I think the biggest thing for him has been efficiency. Um, you know, he's on the border of 50, 40, 90 this year while averaging 20 points a game. That's a, that's a big, those are big numbers. Like that's, you know, he didn't make the all-star team, but he's having an all-star caliber season. And, you know, him being that third guy, I think is huge. Um, now me personally, I, I do think they might be a piece or two away from, from, from being the favorites, you know, from being a team that we think, yeah, they're definitely, I think right now they have a chance. They have just as good of a chance as anybody, but if you want to compete against the nets um, and if you want to compete against those teams in the West, I do think they are a piece or two away, but those three guys, you want to be Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris. Yes. If they're surrounded by the right players, absolutely. I think you can win a championship with those three. Yeah. And I agree with you. And that's why I'm kind of, um, I would say on both sides when it comes to the trade deadline. Now, obviously, like you said, I feel like we're a piece or two away now, whether that's filling out the supporting cast or whether that's getting one of these other big, big pieces. That's the question that remains to be seen. Um, I think we can add a piece like a Kyle Lowry. Obviously, obviously that's going around and we can add some bench depth and, and you know, some more consistent shooting. Um, what's your take on the roster right now? What do we need to do? What are our biggest weaknesses coming into the deadline? Uh, to me, like I, I already mentioned, the shot creator, man. I mean, they, they, I think they need a, a guard that can create um, and lead the offense and, you know, create his shot and create a shot for others. And then just uh, some type of stretch five, even if it's not a guy you're going to play every night, but just a guy that gives you that option. Um, maybe like, a, you know, a guy's like a stretch four that can play small ball five, like some type of player like that. Um, the two obvious guys that jump out are P.J. Tucker and uh, Nemanja Bielica. Um, Those two guys are, you know, stretch fours that can play a little five. Um, you know, PJ Tucker is obviously the much better basketball player, but Belitza could come in and, and, you know, give you some good minutes when maybe Dwight Howard has an unfavorable matchup um, with a guy like a Chris Boucher that we just saw against Toronto. Belitza will probably match up a little bit better and, you know, force him to come out and guard him from three. So there's that. But I mean, to me, uh, I, I would like to see another shot creator. Um, I'm a big Shake Milton guy. I, I think Shake, Mil Shake Milton could be a huge part of this team. Uh, and he can contribute in the playoffs. I think he absolutely can do that. But I would still like to see him have a little help um, with ball handling and with distribution. Because I just I want him to be able to play. I guess the I guess the term I'm looking for is a little more free. And I think when he's worried about being the point guard while also worrying about scoring with the second unit, I don't know that he can play as free as maybe he wants to. Um, things will change, you know, when the playoffs start and the starters are playing bigger minutes. And, you know, there's not going to be those all bench lineups that we've seen that Doc Rivers likes to use now. But, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned Kyle Lowry. Of course, if you can get a guy like Kyle Lowry to add to this starting lineup, it just lengthens your team. Um, it gives you that shot creation I mentioned. He's, he's playing really well, uh, shooting the ball really well from three right now. 
Um, he's a great passer. He's a really good rebounder for his size too. Uh, plays a lot bigger than that six foot frame. He's obviously built like a tank, tough dude, plays like a bulldog. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can add a guy like that. Yeah. 100% I'd be on board with that, put him in the starting lineup. And then, you know, I think you still have enough assets where you can, even after you make that trade, you could, you still have your trade exception. You still have the taxpayer mid-level exception to use on a buyout guy. I mean, there are still ways to improve the bench even after you get a Kyle Lowry. So um, yeah, I, I think there is a case to be made for going all in on a move like that by Lowry. But then I also think there's other ways you can just improve that bench with the starting five playing so well, where it can elevate you and elevate your team and put you in a really um, favorable place once the playoffs start. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that the Kyle Lowry move to me didn't make a lot of sense at first, but as I start to think about it, it's really manifesting itself because he can, you know, plug him in. He can play on the ball, off the ball. I would, I was even thinking if you bring Kyle Lowry in, how about you move Seth Curry to the bench, Seth Curry and shake Milton as a nice backcourt. Um, Seth has, you know, thrived in that role over the years as a six man. I would really like that. Um, and like you said, I think we're going to fill out our team. Would you say that we're in the market at all for a guy like a Zach Levine, a Bradley Beal. I'm not sure. And I feel like you would have to give up a huge piece, like a Ben, a Tobias, unless you're just throwing four first round picks. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? And do you even think those guys will be available this year? Yeah. I mean, to your part about like Lowry, if, if, you know, if you get him and you put him in the starting lineup. Yeah. I, I think you could move shake, uh, excuse me, Seth Curry to the bench and maybe you start Matisse Thibel in that case. Um, you you know up your since you're adding offense with Lowry, you can really elevate your defense with Thibel. You match up really really well against the Nets uh, with that starting five. With you know Lowry could take on um, Kyrie, Ben would take Durant, uh, and you could have Matisse on Harden. I mean, it, it could be you could make something work there um, where you could be a really tough defensive matchup for the Nets, and then still have the offense because you have Lowry, because you have Embiid, Tobias, um, and, and Simmons. I mean, you could really that could really work. Um, but yeah, with, with Beal and Levine, I just, I don't see either guy getting moved. Um, at least not at this deadline. Uh, I think Beal is a guy that of course you would be an outstanding fit here. And I, you know, you, you, you know, in that case, although I think, you know, to make it work money wise, you would likely have to include, you know, Ben Simmons, which you wouldn't do for me. Like I just wouldn't do it. Right. Um, or Tobias Harris. Uh, so you would be, hurting your team a little bit um, in that regard. But obviously Bradley Beal is one of the best scorers in the NBA. So if you have that opportunity, you have to take it. But like I said, I don't think that's a move that's going to be made until the summer. Uh, Levine, I mean, to me, I think he's just played so well and he's bought in so much to the, to what the bulls are doing with, you know, with what Billy Donovan's doing there. Um, He's improved defensively. He's still 25 years old. I just, and the bulls are in the playoff picture right now. Yeah. So to me, I just don't see what the bulls motivation would be to move him at this point. Um, I think he stays there for at least the end of this season. And I could see them in two years or, you know, next off season offering him that super max extension. Possibly. I could definitely see that. So I don't think like those kind of bigger pieces are, are on, are, are really going to be available, but I do think there are going to be, there are going to be so many options and so many guys. Um, the Sixers are going to be, are going to be able to take a look at, and look, we still got a month uh, pretty much to go. So there's going to be other names that are going to drop. Other players are going to be available, and the Sixers are set up very nicely with a lot of expiring tradable contracts and assets they can use to get guys. Yeah, and you would expect Daryl Morey, right? A guy who's always been a home run swinger, you know, swings for the fences. He's made the most trades behind the process Sixers over the last seven, eight years. You would expect him, right, to come out here and and be a high swinger during the uh, during the trade deadline. 
Yeah, I mean, he's he. What makes I think him such a great executive is that he's going to look at every option. Uh, he's not going to you know dismiss anything right away. He's going to look at it and kick the tires on it. And I'm sure. Listen, I'm sure he has called the Wizards about Bradley Beal. Um, you know what I mean? I'm sure he any player that you could think of. I'm sure he's had a conversation to try to get them out of there, uh, try to make a good deal. And you know, yeah, there's a chance Larry maybe he doesn't move. Maybe he stays in Toronto, but. That doesn't mean another really attractive piece uh, doesn't become available. Another guy I've talked about as possibly maybe like a Victor Oladipo. I know that's not maybe a, a, as you know as sexy of a name as some people might want, but this is a guy who was a two-time All-Star who does you know can create off the dribble, could probably run the pick and roll really well. Ben Simmons, uh, you won't have a drop off uh, defensively between him and Danny Green. If anything, it might make you even a little bit better. So, you know, but, you know, and I get, I get the concerns with injury history and all that, but at the same time, because of that, you probably wouldn't have to give up nearly as much in a trade to get him as you would a Lowry. And then you still have those pieces for the summer. So if Tommy Shepard and the Wizards do start to shop Bradley Beal, you still have those first round picks and those accumulation of assets that you can maybe use to, to kind of lure um, him out of uh, Washington. Yeah, I, I like all the possibilities. And, you know, comparing to your P.J. Tucker kind of uh, move there, I, I think that could potentially be a package deal, you know? So there's a lot of things you can do. Um, I'm excited to see what Daryl Morey does at the deadline. I know I came into this year thinking that this would be a gap year, you know, especially off a shortened offseason. But based off where we're at now, based off how the East is shaped up, I view it as uh, it's ours for the taking if we go out and we make the right moves, you know? Yeah, I mean, you look at you know the Eastern Conference right now. The Heat are down. The Celtics are down. Um, the Bucks are still good, but maybe they're, they're coming on a little bit recently. But they're not kind of quite at their level. I know they were missing uh, Drew Holiday uh, a great deal. Uh, the Nets are on fire right now. But um, and think about that. It took the Nets being on absolute fire recently to just be, to be a half game back of the Sixers because that's how consistently good the Sixers have kind of been this year. So yeah, I, I mean, I to me, I think you don't have to look at it as being, you know, if you make a big move, you don't have to look at it as, oh, we're all in this year, but then we don't have anything next year. Like I said earlier, if you have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, you have that. Um, you're starting with that. Um, that's pretty good. You're starting off with two all-stars and then you've got to figure out the rest. So even if they make a move for a Lowry and they give up a bunch of pieces, you know, that means that they're going to have a bunch of salary cap free next year to sort of Daryl Moore to do what he pleases. So, um, you know, I, I think, there is room to make a quote unquote all in move, but it not deplete your franchise for the next, whatever, five years, you're still going to be competitive because you have those two stars. Yeah, I agree. And um, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to take the ride. I'm ready to take the ride and I'm ready for Daryl Morey to lead us where we need to go as well as doc and these players. Um, I think our windows opening up for the next, however many years, but I'm excited. Great stuff from Paul Hudrick. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, taking some time to join us today. Be sure to check him out. 97.3 ESPN um, does great coverage and also does the coming in for a landing podcast. Just the last thing for our viewers. Um, I know a lot of people reach out to me and ask me, you know, how do I get started in this business in this industry do you have any advice or tips for someone who may be trying to come up and you know one day cover their favorite sports team uh yeah i mean it, i mean it's it's a lot of cliches uh but you know working your butt off is certainly a good start i mean nothing's really going to happen unless you're doing that first and foremost uh controlling kind of all the factors you can control uh, meeting people is huge. Get to know people, meet as many people as you can, especially people in the industry. Um, be respectful of those people. And that also goes a long way. It tends to make you stick out a little bit more when you're kind and respectful to other people and they want to help you out and they want to do things for you. And then lastly, you're going to need luck. Uh, that's I had a lot of luck. 
had a lot of awesome people help me along the way to kind of push me in certain directions. And that's, that's it, man. I mean, it's, it's like the, the combination of, of hard work and luck just kind of has to fall together. And, and when it does good things happen. Yep. Awesome, man. Hey, thank you so much for, uh, for taking some time to talk to us today. Great work. Um, and hope that we can uh, talk again later in the season, you know? Yeah, you got it, man. Perfect. Perfect.